This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. This is Bookmark on The Bigger Picture with me, Uma Pagan Ampike Pagan. In light of everything that's been going on in the world, in an attempt to help you, our beloved listener, cope, Lee Chui-Lin joins me today to provide you with a post-apocalyptic reading list. Lin, welcome back to Bookmark. Hello, it's been a while. It has been a while. And I thought in this show, given the state of the world, Brexit, Trump, everything that's going on, I thought we'd sit down, we'd have a conversation about what people should read. I said, we should help people out. Tell them what they should read in this post-apocalyptic future we're about to live in. Yeah, it's not very... It's it's kind of grim, isn't it? It is very grim. Yeah. Did you go for grim in your reading selections? I did not go for grim. Neither I have, did I, yeah. I have educational and hopeful. Okay, all right, no, I, I don't. I'm I don't to want make people to label, feel a little better. I don't want to label the books I've selected. We'll see. Okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Actually, no. One of them is quite grim. Anyway, okay, okay. Do you want to go first, or should I go first? Can I just do a bonus recommendation um, outside of right my at the, right at the top of the outside yeah. of my allotted two? Um, you know, I'm sure people have been up to date about the Hamilton Mike Pence situation. Uh, basically, a Hamilton actor, Hamilton's um, giant Broadway musical celebrating diversity, and one of its actors directly addressed Mike Pence. You know what? I will play the clip for them. You know, we had a, a, a guest in the audience this evening. And Vice President-elect Pence, I see you walking out, but I hope you will hear us just a few more moments. There's nothing to do with you, ladies and gentlemen. There's nothing to do with you. We're all here sharing a story of love. We have a, we have a message for you, sir. We hope that you will hear us out. And I encourage everybody to pull out your phones and tweet and post because this message needs to be spread far and wide, okay? Vice President-elect Pence, we welcome you and we truly thank you for joining us here at Hamilton and American Musical. We really do. We, sir, we are the diverse America who are alarmed and anxious that your new administration will not protect us. Our planet, our children, our parents, or defend us and uphold our inalienable rights, sir. But we truly hope that this show has inspired you to uphold our American values and to work on behalf of all of us. All of us. There we go. Um, and so that happened after which uh, Donald Trump, of course, flew into a baby tantrum and started you know, demanding an apology because the theatre should be a safe space, etc. On Twitter. On Twitter, uh, which is his preferred mode. Um, anyway, I just wanted to say that if you wanted to support Hamilton, but also if you just wanted a really good read and a beautiful sort of very few books, I think nowadays are beautiful artifacts to have. Uh, so I just wanted to recommend The Hamilton, because that's, uh, which is the book about Hamilton, the musical. The whole process of putting it together, it's got it's got all the lyrics. It's got all the annotations. It's beautiful. And if you're a Hamilton fan, you have to have it. Okay. So I just picked this up this weekend at Kinokuniya. Yes. And, and they have it in stock. I've never seen the musical because obviously like a million other people, I can't get tickets to see it. But it's completely accessible. Whether or not you've seen the musical, uh, just listen to the soundtrack. It's everywhere. And it's a beautiful, beautiful book. That's the thing. Um, This is all I've done. All I've done is I've listened to the cast album nonstop for like six months now. And it gives me so much joy. And I think in a time where many of us are feeling like all we can do is knuckle down and do the work, uh, whatever work it is that we're doing to hopefully make the world a tiny bit safer or better or more beautiful, Hamilton gives you that inspiration to do it. Hamilton, beautiful book. 
highly recommended. I agree. Also listen to the cast album just a couple of months ago. It was the number one hip hop album in America. So even, it is if the you, best. even if you're not a fan of musicals and you like hip hop music, it is the album for you. But let's get into it. What should people read in this post Trump world? Lynn, let's go with you first. Ah, okay. Um, I'm going to start gentle. And uh, when we first talked about this, my first thought for some reason, and I'm going to roll with it, is Rainbow Rowell, Rowell, uh, Rainbow Rowell's Eleanor and Park. I've not read that book. It's beautiful. Tell me more. Um, Eleanor and Park is a young adult novel set in 1986 or 87, and it tells the story of an a sort of interracial love story between misfits who meet on a bus. And now that sounds like kind of a, a lighthearted take, but there are issues of poverty and abuse. There are issues of, uh, you know, Eleanor just feeling like she doesn't quite fit in. Um, people don't get her. She's too poor to be understood. She's withdrawn. And then you have Park, who is a small Korean boy. And uh, so this oversized Midwestern redheaded girl and the small Korean boy fall into this relationship that is so beautifully rendered. And it is a book in a time where people are talking about race, in a time where people are saying love wins or it doesn't win. Um, I find Eleanor and Park a deeply absorbing, very beautiful, life-affirming read. Is the book a period piece or is it a modern piece? No, it's a modern piece, 1987. Um, nice. So it's, um, and it's, you know, it's it captures the way very few other books do, I feel, the madness of first, the madness and beauty of first teenage love. And the irony of it is that just like watching Breaking Bad feels like an addictive experience, reading Eleanor and Park feels like falling in love because you feel like you're falling in love with the book. I read it in a sitting. I couldn't put it down. Because you know the new Supreme Court's going to ban interracial love. I mean, that's just on the cards. <laughs> well, you know, see, this is the thing. This is the thing. Eleanor and Park is... It's just a beautiful, slender little thing that will make you feel better about the world. And, and I think these stories are incredibly important. I mean, I was just watching the video of President Obama giving the Medal of Courage to Ellen. Did you see that? Yeah. And in his speech, it was a very moving speech, and he talks about how much courage it took for her to come out 20 years ago in a world where such things were just forbidden. Right. And especially in the world of Hollywood, where it meant you could lose work, you could lose credibility, you could lose all sorts of things. And it was the same, whether it was homosexual love or even interracial love, society treated those people incredibly badly. So, And this is just a story of misfits who found people to fit into. And um, above and beyond that, I also think it legitimizes young YA fiction in a way that often doesn't get enough due uh, because it's a book that stands up on its own. You don't have to be a young adult to appreciate it. You can be a very old adult and still love it very much. And books like that are incredibly important for YA readers as well. I, I mean, I have this idea in my head that if you're buying a YA book, more often than not, it is the very first book you get to pick out by yourself. Like your mom's not picking it out for you. You may have your own money and there's that pressure to pick up something that's of value. YA writers have a huge burden or responsibility upon them, right? You, they do. And it's also the introduction to, I guess, a standard of writing, um, a standard of storytelling that you can carry forward. But again, even if you're not in that age category, I just, I just love this book, Eleanor and Park. It's beautiful. Rainbow Rowell? Or Rowell. Okay. <laughs> here, here I run into trouble. It's R-O-W-E-L-L. Okay, so my choice, and I'll lead with the slightly depressing choice, is actually a book that seems to have been caught up in a lot of hullabaloo of late, but I think it's actually a very worthwhile read, and it's Lionel Shriver's The Mandibles. 
Lionel Shriver gave a speech in Brisbane. She was wearing a sombrero. It was about cultural appropriation and she was... Decried it. Yeah, and she was taken out all over the world for it. But the book that she's written is actually incredibly prescient and relevant. It's set only 13 years from now in this America that is in collapse. And it's speculative fiction, but it's not... There are no zombies, there's no nuclear war, there's no... It's a different kind of dystopia. It's a dystopia that is frightening because it's incredibly believable, especially right now. It's a dystopia that is that is caused by financial tragedy. I haven't read it yet, um, but is it a parable or is it a sort of realistic telling? Oof, it's far too realistic for my liking. Mm. In that, yes, you know, Margaret Atwood tells parables. Uh, yes. they're, they're, they're warnings to you. This one doesn't feel like a warning. This one feels like it could happen. Right, because, I mean, hearing you talk about this made me think of uh, Dave Eggers' The Circle, which is it's kind like of... like a Google parable. Yeah, it's a Google parable, but it's also one that's very... Um, it's very deeply understandable. You know, in some ways, we're already living in that world. But at the same time, it has that parable quality. You know, its characters are just stand-ins... Um, um, so it doesn't have that level of fear because you're reading it and you're like, well, nobody would react like this girl. But The Mandibles doesn't sound like that. No, because I think Lionel Trevor does something very clever in this book in which he focuses it around the story of The Mandibles, who are a family. And because if America collapses, the world is going to collapse. And I think that was too big a story for her to tell, as in the consequences of America's collapse upon the world. Uh, China, of course, in this is a superpower, uh, and it's symbolized by the fact that they've usurped the number one as their dialing code, even though no one uses telephones anymore. But it, it's, it's just very funny moments like that. Anyway, so she tells a story focusing around this family, and so you have very real people, um, this family of rich Rothschild-esque people and their lives and how they're deluding themselves along with the rest of the world to think that, you know what, it's a temporary crisis. This can't be the end of America. And I think it opens up a very new kind of genre called financial dystopian fiction. Um, I don't know how many people are going to venture writing it, but... I think a number. It was very <laughs> compelling. And given everything that we've been hearing over the last two weeks coming out of President-elect Trump with trade deals and all of these things going to pot, it feels the more insular America becomes that this will become something of a reality. I think five minutes ago you promised people hope. Oh, and sorry. I, I don't feel I'm like... getting to hope. Okay. Okay. But this this is not where hope lies, right? No, no, because this it is really not doesn't sound like it. No, it isn't. But the other reason I wanted to bring this book up is because Lionel Shriver's got such a bad rap of late. I think people are ignoring her writing. Yes, her personal... Comments and views aside, she's still an incredible writer. And I think uh, this is, yeah, just stunningly prescient. I was reading it again after the Trump election. I was skimming through it and I was like, oh, you wise, clever woman. Is it sort of a, a kind of post-apocalyptic great American novel? Is it a great American novel of the apocalypse? It, it's not a great American novel. I, I think where Lionel Shriver kind of falls short in her storytelling is that she tends to clobber you over the head with a lot of things. She's not by any way subtle about it. And in that sense, I don't think it's a great novel, but I think it's a very good read.
I I kind of was at a crossroads for my second choice. Um, I wanted to go either kind of out of this world or to stay very much within it. Um, I chose to stay within, but just for the people who do feel like they need a bit of escapism, I would say Douglas Adams is your guy. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, world gets destroyed, none of this matters. <laughs> um, so that's, that's one option. Um, You're just a bypass. Yes. Uh, but I decided that that's just not the way it is right now. That's not the direction that we can go in. So instead, uh, I stayed very, very, very close to home and um, I'm going to recommend Neil McGregor's A History of the World in 100 Objects. Because... Um, and for those uh, uninitiated, it was also a podcast. I was just going to um, say, it was a fantastic radio show. It was a really great radio show. Uh, and it does exactly what it says on the tin. It is a history of the world in 100 objects. Basically, it looks at how you can tell the story of civilizations and generations through the objects that they used. And I actually went for the exhibit of this uh, when I was traveling around the world in Perth. And it was kind of amazing to see a credit card being displayed. But that, that aside, um, it's a very good read. It's incredibly well written. You leave, you can dip into it chapter by chapter without feeling like you are obligated to read the whole book. Uh, you leave always feeling like you learned something unusual. Um, you didn't know that people, that hand axes had so much significance to our forebears. Uh, but more importantly, I thought it's a good selection for the time that we're in because it tells you that this too will pass. Generations and civilizations fall. It doesn't matter if Donald Trump comes into power and, um, you know, we fall into... Well, I mean, look, our Neanderthal cousins felt the same way and whatever, it's over. Um, you know, the Ming Dynasty thought it would last forever. Didn't. Um, and so power comes and goes, civilizations come and go, and I find it reassuring to look at the things that have passed and go, these people thought they were the center of the universe, and they're not. I know, but I just get really annoyed when I see Donald Trump tweet about people who are going to run the government for the next eight years. I'm like, eight? You're jumping ahead of yourself, young man. Which is why, man. Which is why uh, he's very old. He's very old. Which is why a history of the world in 100 objects is great, because it gives you that, that look beyond the eight years. You know, it lets you know, okay, this is, this is going to end. And, and you're right. Every generation, not even every generation, every era believes that they're living in the worst of times. Yes, each time. It's hubristic, really. Correct. I mean, that somehow our problems are far greater than any problem that has happened before. And actually, by all statistical measure, we are probably living in one of the best times in humanity, as in... To be alive, for to sure. Be alive. Correct. And... I mean, look, I, I take pleasure in the idea that someday a Make America Great cap is going to be just a chapter in this book as we move on to other I things. I really don't want it to be a chapter in this and book. And yet it's important, right? I, I don't know. For me, I just need that emotional distance. And this book helps me achieve that. Because if I think too much about the present in which I live, I just, I just want to stab, I don't know, myself, president-elect. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what I'm capable of. And, you know, if you're not the reading type, well, what are you listening to this show for? But no, no, no. Also check out the radio show um, uh, because the radio show, it's, it's, it's in podcast form now. It's on iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. And it's a really, really good rendition of the book, too. So, no, great recommendation. My next recommendation is nonfiction. I thought I'd do one fiction, one non. And this one is my hopeful recommendation, actually. It's, it came out about two or three years into the Obama administration. And it's by Judy Cantor, and it's called The Obamas. And for me, what was interesting about this book, we've, we've read books that President Obama himself has written. He's won 
I think, Grammys for it, <laughs> um, at least for the audiobooks. He's close to the EGOT. He's very close to the EGOT. You know, you know he's going to go to stage next. Um, but no, so this book by Judy Cantor is really, really cool because I think it gives you an insight into what it took for the first black family to come into the White House. And she covers some of the most interesting aspects are when she talks about what it was like for a black family to come into a house built by slaves. And to be the only family in the presidency that didn't come from a governor's mansion, that came from a small apartment in Chicago, and what that meant for for them going home for holidays. We've read news recently that Melania Trump is going to stay in New York until their son finishes school. That means it costs the taxpayer in America a million dollars a day. The Obamas went home for a holiday just after taking office, and the chaos it caused Chicago and their neighbors basically stopped them from going back home because they had a tremendous amount of consideration, not just for the office, but for what it meant and how much it cost the taxpayers. I think it's a very interesting read for me because I don't think we've ever had a president in history that has carried, or a first family that has carried themselves with that much dignity. And this book kind of covers, actually, I don't know if this is hopeful or just greatly it's depressing. It's not hopeful. I was going to say, uh, what you're doing is indulging in this in this pre- Obama, pre, pre-loss of Obama nostalgia because that's what we're all doing. We're we all are. looking we at are. the photos. We're all reminiscing over, oh my God, they're such a good couple. But for me, it, 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 it robs me of some of that cynicism, this book, because it shows me that politicians aren't just politicians. Yes, but after this, it's Donald and Melania Trump that we're going to be looking at. And, and, and looking at Barack and Michelle Obama, I think it's just a reminder of that loss of grace. What are you doing? <laughs> Am I allowed to say black Camelot? Is there such a thing? Is it a thing? Can we make it a thing? I think they've made it a thing. Yeah, they've made it a thing. But no, I mean, it fills me with hope that there may be other people out there. Because when I look at politicians all over the world and I look at Marine Le Pen and what's going on in Europe, it frightens me. And it's nice to know that there is at least one shining example. Whether you love his policies or not, whatever you think about drone warfare, at least as human beings, as characters... There is character there. No, I completely agree. Nobody is fighting you on whether um, the Obamas are great or whether a book about the Obamas would be great. That's not in question. The question is whether or not this makes people feel good, and I don't think it does. (laughs) Uh, It filled me with all kinds of hope and change when I was reading it. Well, okay. Was that pre or... Was that before or after Donald Trump? No, recently. Once, once, once we decided we're going to do this show, I was skimming through all of my Obama books, and and this one made me this one made me happy reading it. It just took me back to a place when um, when America, not just me, when America seemed to be hopeful about politics. Wow, that went out of the window really quickly. Okay, I mean, I'll I'll pick it up. I'll give it a try. I don't. I I think it's just going to fill me with real sadness and emptiness. But you know, to each their own, I guess. Those are just four books. I mean, there are, there are tons of books. I mean, I was going through my list and there's a whole bunch of comics and graphic novels that we could recommend to people as well. There's plenty of television shows that people can watch. I, I, I swear to God, I started binge-watching The West Wing. On just the to night, try and feel better? Yes, on the night of the President Trump victory. And it, that didn't make me feel better because that just reinforced how much fiction differs from real life. I'm into escapism at the moment. I, I just can't handle it. Um, for a while, I even went off the Hamilton soundtrack because no to presidential elections. Just can't do it. All right, all right. Lynn, Lynn, we're bidding you farewell on this show. We are. This is going to be your last bookmark because it's going to be your last last few weeks on BFM. It is. Oh, 
It is. We can't get sentimental about these things. <laughs> you know, once we start, it just won't end. Hey, no, you're right, you're right. But uh, farewell, Lynn. All the best to you. I'm going to miss you and Bookmark will miss you. And uh, thank you so much for doing this last show with us. Thank you. FYI, the books we've recommended can be found at all good bookstores. You've been listening to Bookmark on The Bigger Picture, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.